we've had an outstanding month in terms of just input and uh, different people speaking. We had our 10th birthday, which was really great, um, which uh, I really enjoyed. It was so nice to see all of you and you know members from the past uh, here with us. Um, we had Andile come on the ch speak on the church Durban needs, which I thought was really outstanding. If you if you haven't listened to that one, go and listen to it. Very very good. Then Peter spoke on the church that the world needs, um, which also very very good. Um, and then as a, a deacon team, we had Robert and Zamo come and speak to us as a deacon team on kind of giving us a framework for thinking about the church of the future. Um, and then we had Steve from One City preach last week on the church we need. Um, and I'm going to try and speak on the church that Harbor City needs to become, which I realized was quite an ambitious uh, title, and in hindsight, I totally regret it. It's a terrible title. Um, but so we're not going to cover all of that. What we're going to try and do is just touch on a couple like really important things that I think is important both for who we are, for our future, and for what the church worldwide uh, needs to become in its future. Is that okay? Can I pray, and then we'll go through it. Father, pray that you would be with us this morning. Pray, Lord, that you would highlight some things to us, that you would speak to us, uh, minister into our hearts, and stir us for what you are doing, both with us and with Harbor City and the church at large. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I've got essentially two points two main points that I, I want to cover, and then just talk about Matthew 22, um, the verse that Mfundo read, and why thinking through that verse is really important for us in understanding what God is doing with us and what God is doing with the church at large and what he's been doing with the church at large through all of uh, the history of the church. So my first point is this, is what kind of church do we need to become? We need to become a radical, wow, what a horrible font is on that thing. Sorry, guys. Mine does not look like what that looked like. I need to upgrade those fonts there. We need to become a radically orthodox church. I don't know if you remember Peter, when Peter preached, he said this, he said, you know, the church that Durban needs, the church that the world needs in 2033, in 10 years' time, uh, is the same church that it's needed 100 years ago, same that it needed 1,000 years ago, same that it needed in AD 133, and that is a radically orthodox church. Um, and one of the things that we need to remember is that in one sense, we have just celebrated our 10th birthday, but the church is not 10 years old. The church is 2,000 years old. And Harbor City's history is not just 10 years old. It's 2,000 years old. And orthodoxy, which is the holding to the beliefs 
uh, and the practices of the church throughout the history of the church is what connects us to the greater church at large. Um, that we are not just a church that's 10 years old, we're a church that's 2,000 years old, that started when, 1, 000, when 120 believers in the upper room experienced the Holy Spirit come upon them, Jesus told them to wait, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and then the church is birthed 2,000 years ago, uh, well, 1,990, I don't know. Give or take a couple years. But you know, we are part of a church that has existed for a long period of time. But we're not just part of a church that's existed for 2,000 years. We're part of a faith that started with Adam, that started with Abraham, that we have multi-millennia history. Um, and we want to remain connected to our history, to who the church is, which means we want to be radically orthodox. Now, there's a danger that happens when you live in a culture that has embraced Christianity as part of its culture. There's always an inherent danger of that. I, I remember once um, I was watching the updates of one of our elections, probably about two elections ago and uh, you know the results were coming in and finally the results were finalized and it was a Sunday morning and I remember Uncle Gwedi getting up on TV chatting to the nation about uh, the results and the fact that the ANC had won and he's in the middle of this press conference and he says listen guys I need to cut this press conference short because our people need to go to church um, and you, you realize like here you've got a politician on a Sunday morning saying, hey, I need to cut this short so that people can go to church. How much church is part of the culture of South Africa? But there's a danger when church and life and calling ourselves Christian becomes part of our culture. The danger is that we miss the orthodoxy and the radicalness of what the church was when it started. So in AD 450, um, what, what happened is in church history, you've got, you've got the guy, Constantine. What he basically does is he turns, he, he legislates Christianity within the empire at that time. So he legislates uh, Christianity so it becomes, you know, legal to be a Christian, but not only does it become legal, it becomes encouraged to be a Christian within the nation. And then what you get is you get a guy called uh, Benedict. He became, in the Catholic tradition, sanctified, Saint Benedict. Some people may have heard that name. Pope Benedict, named after Saint Benedict. Um, you've got Saint Benedict's school up in Pinetown, uh, named after this guy, Saint Benedict. And Saint Benedict, what he did is what they realized is Christianity became part of the culture. They were in danger of losing the radicalness of the faith. So he is the father of the monastery. Uh, the modern day kind of monastery we know was started in AD 
400 and something towards 8,500. And why did they start monasteries? Not because they wanted to hide from society, but because they wanted to maintain a radical orthodoxy as the Christianity of the day was just being watered down by being part of just the cultural activity of life. What that means is this, is that it's easy to come to church week after week, uh, Sunday after Sunday, maybe even read our Bible a couple times a week, maybe even say a morning prayer. It's easy for that to become a cultural activity rather than a genuine belief. It's easy for that to become something that we do because that's what's been done, rather than something that we do because we believe it to be true. The church over 2,000 years has held not just to cult church being part of a cultural activity that we do. We are Christian. We go to church. We do this. We do that. But a church has fought for Christianity to be radical. And they've done that through orthodoxy. Reminding ourselves that we are part of a long history of church. Um, I enjoyed that we sang the hymn today, Eugene, How Great Thou Art. Um, and one of the amazing things about hymns is that we are singing the songs of the church of another age. Um, we are standing here today in 2023 singing a song that's over a hundred and something years old. Every time we sing Amazing Grace, we're singing the song of a church that's almost 500 years old. You know? Like we we singing the songs of the radically orthodox church over time, reminding ourselves that Harbor City is not just the cool 10-year-old church, you know, not that we are the cool 10-year-old church, you know, I don't know if anyone defines Harbor City as the cool church, but, you know, but we are a church that is part of history. What, I mean, what are some of the orthodox beliefs of the church over the years. Number one, the church has believed over 2,000 years, the Orthodox Church has always believed in the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. What does that mean? That Jesus is above all and he is sufficient for all. The church has always believed in the sufficiency of the gospel. As Tabani read that scripture from Romans 8 this morning, so great. The church has always held to, the radically orthodox church has always held to the supremacy of Christ. Christ alone is Lord. And Christ alone is sufficient for your and my salvation. That is one of the things we as a church need have held to and need to hold to and we'll need to hold to however long Harbor City goes on to, that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is the one who is sufficient. That God is sovereign. 
I, I don't know if uh, you've like ever read the Old Testament at times and just thought, yo, the Old Testament is pretty depressing at times. Like bad things are happening all the time. Um, I mean, they're going into exile. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're thrown into the furnace. I mean, people are dying. It's just like, it's hectic. It's like so hectic through the Old Testament. And there's these amazing moments and hectic moments and amazing moments and hectic moments. But one of the things that time, a long period of time does for you, is you realize that in the good and in the bad, God is Lord over all. That is one of the things that the scriptures teach us. God is sovereign over all. And that what the prophets do is they remind us that our moment in human history right now is not the only moment in human history. That our moment in human history is not the all-consuming moment in human history. But God, as the one who is sovereign, is the one who is taking mankind, humanity, from the sin of Adam and Eve to the glorification of Christ at the end of the age. And God, through his sovereignty, is orchestrating human history through the good and the bad, through the ups and the downs, through the highs and the lows. God is orchestrating human history to bring his people and the church to the moment when Christ will rule Overall, he is sovereign. It's one of the things that we as a church have always held to for 2,000 years. We believe God is sovereign overall. It's why the church can embrace suffering. It's why Christ himself can lay down his life, knowing that the Father will raise him up. Because we can embrace suffering, we can embrace the hardship, we can look at human history and know that the injustice in human history is not the end. And we know that with certainty because we believe God is sovereign. He is Lord over all, in control over all. And that the ups and downs and that the pains and hurts of human history is not the ultimate end. God, by his sovereignty, is moving human history towards the glorification of Jesus and the healing of his people. We hold to that. We don't give up on the orthodoxy of the church. We hold to the work of the Holy Spirit. As I mentioned in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon 120 people sitting in the upper room and the church is formed. As uh, one writer says that the Acts of the Apostles could more aptly be named the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because as you read Acts, you read about how God is at work in his people through the Holy Spirit. We hold to the church. That church is not just a good idea, but church is God's sovereign plan for how he's going to work in the world. As uh, was read last week in Ephesians 3, it talks about God is revealing his manifold wisdom to the world through his church. That the church is God's idea, not ours. 
And sometimes the church looks amazing, and sometimes the church doesn't look good. Sometimes in history, the church has been part of so many injustices, and the church has been part of so much righteous change. But we hold to the church in the ups and the downs because it is not our idea, it is God's. We hold to the sacraments. The sacraments are, uh, Steve mentioned that the church is a sacrament, which means it's a visual display of a spiritual reality. Um, but the, the sacraments that the church has held to over 2,000 years is breaking our bread. When we do that, uh, we'll do it on camp, but when we break bread, do communion, that whole process, uh, the church for 2,000 years has been breaking bread. It's a physical display of a spiritual reality, Christ's body broken, his blood poured out for us. We feast on our salvation. Christ, the one who laid down his life, the gospel being declared through the sacraments. We hold to baptism. Baptism, the dying with Christ and being raised with him in resurrection. We hold to prayer and the scriptures. God's, Jesus said this, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer. Radical orthodoxy holds to prayer being essential part of the faith. Prayer is us trusting in God. It's stopping, reminding ourselves that our activity is not central to what is happening in the church. God's activity is. And so we, let, we stop doing our activity and we pray and we engage with God to hear from him, to request from him, for, to ask him to do what he does within the church. And as was mentioned last week by Steve, we hold to the scriptures. The church has always gone wrong when it's put the Bible outside of being central to what it believes. But as the people of God come back and submit themselves to the scriptures, we find the church being glorious. We want to be a radically orthodox community, a community that holds to the age-old beliefs of the church. We want to be, as Augustine put it, a city of God, a place in which Christ reigns within this place, where he dictates and directs, where his supremacy and sufficiency has sway. We, as the church, want to be radically orthodox. Does that make sense? You're okay there? Second point 
one that I think is, is a point for us now that I think is essential for us now is that we need to become a robust community. Peter mentioned a compelling community. We need to become a robust community. Community is a group of people who have chosen to do life together through a shared set of beliefs or values or interests or even just proximity. Community is when people do life together. The church is a community. It's not a community just by our choice, but it's a community by God's choice. Um, As Paul says, he says, you collectively, he's talking to the Corinthian church, you together are the body of Christ. And each one of you are individual members of it. He's talking about the gifts of the Spirit at this point. And he's saying, hey, you guys, all of us here, we are the body of Christ. We are a community that is being formed together by Christ. And as Corinthians is talking about gifts, he's saying in each individual has a role, a part to play in being part of this community. But we need to become a robust community. Church communities, especially as church becomes, as church and uh, calling ourselves Christians becomes part of the culture, church communities are surprisingly fragile. Don't know if you've noticed that, but like if anyone has a bad Sunday, like they just stop coming. Like, oh, I didn't like church anymore. I'm going to go find another church. The other one's going to be better. You know, like Jamie's giving us broccoli, but that person gives us steak with like mushroom sauce. So like, I'm, going, I'm going for the steak. Um, but the, there's this danger that as Christianity becomes almost like a cultural activity as we lose the fire of orthodoxy, as we lose that, as we lose the, 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 you know, the significance of Christ, church and our community can become fragile. We move from church to church, we move from space to space without allowing ourselves to be deeply knitted into community. Harbour City, I want to say to us that we need to become a robust community. And what that means is that one of the things that we can't just rely on for community is our meetings or a building. Uh, you, You know what happens is church community can be for us a Sunday meeting. Like, I go to church on Sunday, don't interact with anyone else at any other time during the week. Like, church is less a community to us than it is about a meeting, a meeting, a Sunday, or about a building. I mean, we don't have a building. We've got a school, and even as uh, you know, we, we are losing our lease here at the end of the year. So, like, we're doubly not going to have a building at the end of the year. <laughs> awesome which means we need to be robust because it's going to be Saturday night WhatsApps telling us where to meet on Sundays. So get ready for that WhatsApp group. No, I'm teasing. Sorry, I didn't mean to make anyone feel insecure about church. 
you're waking up tomorrow going, I'm joining another church. <laughs> These oaks don't know where they're meeting next year. But the reality is, is that for us to become the people of God, church has to become more than a meeting and more than a building. It needs to become a group of people who have knit themselves together under Christ, being formed together, being shaped together, living together, caring for one another, being radically robust, willing to be inconvenienced for the community that you're part of. We need to become a robust community where church is not just a Sunday activity, but it is the people that I do life with. One of the things that I've enjoyed is that, um, Miles, you can go to the next picture. <laughs> it's just a, that's an old picture. It's a picture of an Amish barn raising, they call it. And um, you can see they're raising a barn but there is a whole bunch of people, like the whole community's gone there uh, to this Amish barn raising. And basically how the community works in the Amish community, one of the ways that it works is this, is that if your barn you know, gets burnt down, falls down, turned down, tornado comes through, whatever, the whole community will get together for a barn raising, they call it. And the whole community comes out of their homes and they build your barn. Building your barn becomes not just the activity of the person who's lost the barn, it becomes the activity of the whole community because they see community not just as a church activity. They see the health of community being about, hey, you need it for our community community be healthy you need a barn so guess what we're going to rock up and there you can see they all rock up everyone arrives there and they build the barn they build it together they build it financially together they uh, if if someone can't afford something they come together to make sure that the community is healthy and every person is playing their part towards that space being a healthy space like community has to move out from just saying, hey, I go to church, to hey, I am part of the body of Christ. Some elements on community. Community involves unity. Over the last couple of months, Rand's brought a prophetic word at our deacons meeting about unity. That God will move us forward as we are united. God wants to have a united community. Community happens around meals. It's one of the reasons why on our birthday we had food, because community is built around meals. Uh, one of the things that blows my mind about Acts 2, Acts 2 is like interesting, but you get to the end of Acts 2 and it says they ate daily in each other's homes. Like I get that this is a different age, but have you ever thought about eating daily in each other's homes? Like, I would be tired. Week one, 
Saturday, that would be me out for like the whole day. Like, I'm like, how did they do that? That level of eating together. Jesus ate together with people. There's a profoundness that happens when we decide we are going to eat together with people in this room. Community gets built around meals. Maybe I can ask this question, who are you going to invite into your home to have a meal with? We'll see community becomes not just about meetings and buildings, but it becomes about the body when we can be in each other's homes eat food together, enjoy each other's company, get to know each other, glorify Christ. Join a life group. Find ways to be committed to the community. Community is about care. It's about when one part of the body hurts, as Paul says, the whole body feels it. And we care. Community is about generosity. Being a robust community requires us to be generous. Generous with our time. Generous with our lives. Generous with our activity. Generous with our homes. Generous with meals. Generous with our finances. Community requires, a robust community requires each person bringing a level of generosity to the table. It requires us to be committed. When I was young, in my 20s, uh, as, as part of Red Point, as uh, many of you know, I was part of the church, and I remember Nick getting up, and he said this, he said, he said when he was young and he had just got married, he said, him and Cutty had resolved that come rain or sunshine, come good times or bad times, they would be at church on a Sunday. And I heard him say that, and I said, yes, like, I'm going to resolve to do the same. And church is something that we commit to, we go to. Community requires commitment. I've been part of Neighborhood Watches, CPF, all of these kind of different things over the different days, part of a, a health and whatever safety committee that Pantown put together, and uh, over the years, being part of different committees. And one of the things that you realize over time is like these communities are really big, but they're actually held to held together by a small number of people. And those small number of people are the people who are committed when it rains, or the sun is out, when it's good or bad, they're there every time. We'd have these meetings in the Pinetown South area, and they were big meetings, so we'd go out to all the different areas, and, and which is something like 30 or 40,000 people, and the meetings would only be attended by 50 people. And every single month, it would be like the same people. People who build community are people who are committed to community. Be committed. Come to church. 
Come week after week. Join a life group. Go week after week. Serve, care, make meals, love, be generous. And as Peter mentioned, one of the things that the churches hold to over is reconciliation. We are ministers of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians says. It is the identity of the church. Part of the identity of the church is that God has called all of us to be ministers of reconciliation. We are people who reconcile with each other. Peter used that illustration of we must be like shoelaces. Shoelaces take two sides and pull them together. And the reality is the church always finds it in spaces that need reconciliation, whether racial reconciliation, whether gender reconciliation, whether age or class or anything that divides. The church finds itself in a space where it needs to pull sides together to be one under Christ. To be a robust community, we need to be a reconciled community, working towards reconciliation. Which sometimes means we need to have difficult conversations, be committed to God's process of building his people together as one. We need to be, as was mentioned in the Nehemiah series, a city without walls. Zechariah prophesies that the city of God will be a city without walls. And why will it be a city without walls? Because it's going to be an attractive and inclusive community. A community where there's always room for one more. A community where people come together from different spaces where people feel welcomed in. We never want to be a community that's so tight that one more can't come in. You know, like, we don't want to be clicky. We don't want to be exclusive. We want to be a city without walls. So we want to be radically orthodox. And we want to be a robust community. Can I end with one last thing to help us think about this? And that is that we need, we need love. We need love. As Mfundo read, Jesus said that the greatest command, the command to God's people, the command to the church, the greatest command is that we would be a community, a people who love God with all our hearts, souls, mind, and strength, and who love neighbor as ourselves. So there's this thing called telos. It's like a Greek kind of philosophical term, the telos, the telos, which is the direction of your life. What is the direction of your life? What is it that you are aiming towards? Philosophers talk about telos as like when, when you think about your life and where your life is moving and what you're aiming towards, what is the telos of your life? 
And, uh, and what is the telos of the church, which is the question I've pondered over the, over the last while, is I've thought about what kind of church does Harbor City need to become? What is the telos? What is the direction? Where are we moving to? And how do we move in that direction, in the same direction that the church has moved for 2,000 years? We become a people of love. What is God doing? What, how is he moving the church forward? He's doing it by forming us into the people of God, which means we are, as Paul says in Colossians, we are becoming like Christ. That is the goal of your and my discipleship, is that we are becoming like Jesus. Jesus is not trying to form you into you know, living your best life now. Uh, that's, that's not the, the goal of your life. The goal of your life is not just like, hey, I'm just going to live this happy, comfortable, wonderful life. I'm coming to church because it's helping me live my best life now. I feel good, etc., etc. The goal of life is that God is shaping you and me and us collectively as the people of God into the image of Christ. He is making you like Jesus. Tim Keller says this, he says, marriage is not for our happiness, it's for our holiness. What, what he means by that is that marriage, relationships, relationships with people, coming to church is not so much about making you happy, it's about making you like Jesus. Which means this, that God is about making you a people of love. He is about making you a people of love. Jesus, when he talks on the Sermon on the Mount, he ends off chapter 5 saying this, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. How do you be perfect? He says, by loving your enemy. The, the full result of discipleship is when we get to a place where we don't only just love God and neighbor, but we love enemy. The full result of your and my discipleship is when you become a person of love. When your whole character has become love, that you can even Look at your enemy as Jesus looked on his and said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He looked on them with compassion, with love. God himself, as 1 John says, God is love. Now, at this point, I just want to be careful and just say this, we do not idolize love. So love is not God. God is love. Love is not the all-consuming idol per se, but it is the innate character of God that as we worship and honor and become like him, our character becomes loving. 
God wants to make Harbor City a community that embodies love. And um, I'll finish with this with a couple of practical points, but I'll just mention this diagram quickly. There's like three elements in this passage about love. Loving God, loving neighbor, and loving self. Um, what, what is really important to say is God doesn't command you to love yourself. He, so I want to be clear about that. This is not, God's not commanding you to love yourself. And um, we certainly don't want to become a narcissistic community where everyone is completely obsessed with themselves and they're like, Jamie said I must be. I love myself. Um, you know, but what the verse implies is that in order to be a person who loves God and neighbor, there has to be a measure of health in our lives. And the measure of health is when we can get to a place where we are okay with who we are. So the love for neighbor, it's implied that you don't treat yourself horribly, so you're not going to treat your neighbor horribly. That's, that's what's implied in that scripture. Uh, uh, as at another point they, they unpack the scriptures, like, hey, you know what, you don't hurt yourself, so why do you hurt your neighbor? You, you feed yourself, so why don't you feed your neighbor? Like, there, there's a measure of health in a person that helps us understand what it means to love neighbor. But the reason why I put that in there, as it's in the verse, is because there's sometimes a reason why we don't love our neighbor. And it's not because we don't believe it, but it's because we hate ourselves that we're unable to love our neighbor because we treat them the same way we treat ourselves. One of the things that the gospel does is the gospel helps us reconcile not just the issues that people have with us, but the issues that we have with ourselves. The gospel helps transform our own self-identities so that we can be okay with who we are. The gospel tells us that we are loved in Christ, that we are new in Christ, that we are accepted in Christ. Uh, one of the things I love about the gospel is, uh, one of the passages I love on the gospel is Romans 5. It says this, you know, some people may die for a good man. A few people may die for a righteous person. But Christ died for us while we were still sinners. This is how God shows his love for us, is that he dies for you not when you are good. He dies for you in your worst state. Christ shows his love for us. We often think of the gospel in this way. We're like, oh, you know what? I'll go to church when I've got my life together. I'll accept Jesus when I've got my life together. Like that is the antithesis of the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is like you can't get your life together. But there is one who has 
done that for you. It is Christ. He loves us in our brokenness, in our worst state. He loves us in our own self-hatred. And it is his love for us that transforms our view of ourself. Which then helps us love our neighbor. The role of spiritual formation is that God is wanting to form you and at the deepest part of his formation of you is the formation of your loves so that you become a person, so that we as a church become a community who loves God, neighbor, and self, who is able to reconcile the tensions of sin and brokenness and know that even in the midst of that, there is one who loves And so we can love. I'll finish this with the last slide and then we'll close. I know it's been long. How do we grow in love? Four quick points. How do we grow in love? How are we going to be formed into being a people of love? Number one, we grow in love by being loved. 1 John 4 verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. The reality is like we are not good self-generators of love. Like that's the reality. As humans are not good self-generators of love. We are good at channeling love. So we love because Christ first loved us, because the Father first loved us. We channel the love of the Father into loving others. It's, um, guys, I know, like, yo, I know this is like a derogatory kind of like illustration, so please, like, forgive me of this. But uh, my mom, my mom's part of a, a dog rescue kind of organization. She's a part of a committee that rescues dogs. And uh, one of the things that you see about rescue dogs, dogs that are in difficult homes, is like they are like so timid. They're like scared of everything. Um, and then what you see is that these dogs get rescued and they go into homes of love, like where people love these dogs. And, that, and it takes them a long time, but slowly the dogs come out of their like fear of everything, cowering in the corner, and they become happy dogs. And how do they become happy dogs? Like happy dogs, that's such a, how they become happy dogs? Because they're in an environment in which they are being loved. One of the ways that you and I become people of love is allowing ourselves to be loved in worship, allowing the Father to love us in a community, allowing people to love us, to not just close ourselves off, to not just live in isolation, to not like push people away, but allowing people to love us. Being in an environment of love is what helps us grow to be a people of love. If we just push away, if we live in isolation, humans are not great generators of love. This is what 
John is telling us. Humans are not great generators of love. You can't just live in isolation and think, I'm just going to be a loving person. It just does not happen. We love because we are loved. So getting ourselves in community that loves us, allowing the love of the Father to shape us, helps us become a people who love. Reminding ourselves of the gospel. The gospel reminds us that God loves his people even in their darkest moments. The gospel reminds you and I that we are forgiven even when we struggle to forgive ourselves. The gospel reminds us that the Father steps into the darkness of our lives and he loves us. When we remind ourselves of the gospel, we remind ourselves of a God who is a God who is motivated by love. Sometimes, the the danger sometimes of of the church is when the church gets into fundamentalism, which is like a complete obsession with doing the right thing. When the church becomes obsessed with fundamentalism, it can get to a place where we think God is not a God of love, but a God of judgment. And so we fear, we don't allow ourselves to be loved by God or the church to become a space of love but we want to become a people of love because the telos of discipleship and the telos of the church is that we are becoming a people who love we grow in love by ordering our priorities sometimes The things that stop us from loving people is that our priorities are all wrong. If I work all the time and never spend any time with my kids, what ends up happening is my love just gets strangled up. It's a bit like Jesus telling the parable of the sower. You know, some seed falls on the place with the weeds and the thorns and it strangles out. When we get our priorities wrong, when we start putting things and stuff and activities and that above loving people, we find that our own growth in love gets Strangle. 1 Corinthians 13, the famous passage on love, it starts off with this talking about, you know, hey, I can sing with the voice of angels. I can speak with authority. I can do all of these things, but if I have not love, it is worthless. What is Paul doing? One of the things that he's doing is trying to reorientate our priorities to being about love. Your life is less about your success than it is about your love for people and God. And it's learning to make sure that we don't prioritize the wrong things, but that we order our lives to be, to prioritize love. And as you do, crazy thing is you grow in love and then final thing is we do it by creating healthy habits Uh, James K. Smith wrote a book um, very very interesting book but in this book 
trying to remember his name. I just totally went out my head now. But in this book, he says this. He says, we love that which we repeatedly do. Human beings' loves are formed through practice. He says, we love that which we repeatedly do. And he says, this is part of the reason the church has sacraments. It's part of the reason why year after year, uh, you know, the people of God, the people of Israel, as you read in the Old Testament, year after year would do these feasts and these festivals and they would go through these practices and as they go through them, they form their loves. It's the simple habits of eating with your family around a dinner table sometimes and having conversations rather than watching TV helps you to learn to form the habits that eventually form your love for your family. It's the habits of not just our meals, or it's the habits of coming to church week after week, and all of a sudden you find this being a space that you love. Or anyone who started praying for the first time, uh, if you, when you, early in your Christian life like me, and you start praying, and uh, you stop praying, and the only thing you can think about when you're praying is like food, or something else, or just stopping, or this is stupid, or it's just so ridiculously hard, and then Day after day, week after week, the habit of prayer forms a love for prayer. You may not love it in the first moment, but as you train yourself through healthy habits, it helps form your loves. Or going and having a meal with someone, being part of community, going to life group. The first time you go to life group, it may have been a terrible experience. It may be, have been horrible. You arrived there, it was awkward. Everyone else brought a bring and share. You didn't know. You felt awkward. People were like, who are you? Like everyone forgot your name and then they asked you to pray and then they asked you by the wrong name and you're like, this is terrible. Like never going back. But then you go back and you do it week after week and all of a sudden you find yourself loving being together with each other in community. And you're thinking, like, I've had a busy week, I'm tired, this has been a crazy time of period. Why do you get in your car at night time, go to someone else's home, have a meal with each other, go through the, the awkwardness of sometimes standing in a room and not knowing what to say to each other? Why do we go through this week after week? It's because God is beginning to form within us through these habits, love for one another, for his people. We want to develop habits that shape our loves. And we want to develop habits that shape us in becoming a people of love. The habits of regularly giving. The habits of regularly meeting with people. I think what COVID did to us over three years what COVID did to us is it smashed some of the habits that shaped our loves and it started to form new habits. But some of those habits were unhealthy. Like Lisa and I, we, this was an unhealthy habit for us is during COVID, like what we would do is, you know, church was online. 
So we're like, ah, oh, let's go get coffee. We'd go like go drive, get coffee, do something in the morning. We're like, it's online. We can watch it when we get home, you know. And then you watch, I'd watch the church service while washing the dishes at night. So I was like, check that off. But what, what happens is like all of a sudden you're like, Yo, you know what, I don't know if I want to go to church when it opens because I've quite enjoyed like going coffee and then like walking on the beach and then doing this and, and then I can just watch the service when it's convenient. What COVID did is it knocked some of the habits that were shaping our love for neighbor and self and, and God. It, it knocked those habits so that we became more and more just about ourselves. We want to develop healthy habits that help us to be a people who love God and love neighbor. And we do that by being okay with who we are. Can I pray? Let's close. Father, thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign and supreme, that the church through 2,000 years has gone through ups and downs. Harbor City through 10 years has gone through ups and downs, but you, God, are sovereign over it all. The one who is directing human history from the start of the redemption of Adam to the redemption of humanity in Christ at the end of the age. We thank you, Lord, that you are at work now, in this moment, in us. And you're at work in shaping us to become like Jesus, to become a people who love. Father, I pray for that. I pray for some of us here this morning who come to church maybe just because it's a cultural activity. Lord, I pray that you would stir on our hearts the beauty of the gospel, that church won't just become something we do, but it will become part of our being formed into Christ because we believe in you, in your death and in your resurrection. And some of us here this morning struggle with love because we struggle with ourselves. Day after day, week after week, year after year, it feels like we wrestle with our own self-hatred and our dislike of ourselves. Oh Lord, I pray that you would wash your gospel over us, that we would more and more believe in the gospel and learn to forgive ourselves as you've forgiven us. Learn to accept ourselves as you've accepted us. And as we do that, help us as Harbor City for this year, next year, a hundred years' time, increasingly become a people who embody the love of Christ in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.